Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the fulfillment IQ story with my friend Nanad Acharya. Uh, please pronounce your last name. That was really good, right there, Joe. Oh God, Nanad Acharya. I just don't feel confident about it. I've said it a number of times. I never feel, but I can say Nanad. Anyway, Nanad. Stick to Nanad because I'm pretty sure. You'll probably never run into another Nanad in your life. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Nanad, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Absolutely. Nanad Acharya, CEO and co-founder of Fulfillment IQ. It's a budding three-year-old company. Went from about two people to about 65 people in the consultative space, helping brands, retailers, and 3PLs in supply chain distribution, logistics, uh, order management, transportation management space. Uh, We do a lot of software development, a lot of consultative work, uh, and also help with packet software implementation activities. Excellent. And I am actually calling from beautiful Atlanta, Midtown Atlanta, which is where I don't live, but I'm at an Airbnb, dropping off a cousin of mine to uh, his medical school that he starts. I live in Toronto, Ontario. Very nice. Very nice. Well, Toronto is a beautiful place to be this time of year, just like Michigan. And uh, I always say we win the summer. Uh, We win the summer and we win the fall, but we do lose. (laughs) We do lose (laughs) in February, March. But anyway, then uh, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some of your background. Absolutely. I grew up in India up until I was about 16 years old. What what city? It's a city called Ahmedabad in western side of India, about a seven-hour drive. We don't mention hours in driving usually in other parts of the world other than U.S. and Canada. It's something that I've noticed, <laughs> but just from a reference perspective, a seven-hour drive west of Mumbai, really small city. It has grown quite a bit as it, it has gone through a boom. Grew up there in a in a middle class family, father from a working in a bank, mother a homemaker, a very typical family. Up until I was sixteen, and when I turned sixteen, I decided to move to the U.S. Uh, I did my high school in Joplin, Missouri, for a for about a one year time frame. Finished my high school there, and then how did that how did that work out how was that a I, you can't just move by, on your own for, at 16 to the US can you no I, you can't you did <laughs> so this, this was you know back in 99 my father got a work visa to come and work during the uh, dot com boom before it was the dot com bust bust right? and i was uh, a dependent to my father so i could move to the US at that point he got a job in new york but I had an uncle who lived in Missouri and said, hey, why don't you just move here? The schools are amazing here. And so I don't know why, but I ended up deciding to move to Missouri. So did you know anything about the U.S. from watching TV or anything before you moved to Joplin, Missouri? My my reference was watching lots of reruns of I Dream of Jeannie, Baywatch. That's a very representative. That's how the U.S. is. Exactly. (laughs) And Baywatch and Star Trek. 
And I think I, the, the thing that inspired me the most was Star Trek. I'm not at my house right now. You would see my personal studio has a lot of artwork that's inspired by Star Trek, just because I'm a pretty big Trekkie myself. They were so. ahead of their game. They were ahead of their time. Absolutely. Many years ago, I was in Vegas. I forgot what casino had it. They had the Star Trek Museum there. And I recommend you have a few drinks before you wander through because there is some craziness there. There are people all dressed up, but they had all the, they had like a bar that was Star Trek themed. I think they closed it, but it was crazy because it was like to see the Star Trek characters live and in person and very real. (laughs) It was very real if you have a few drinks. (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny that I do have a couple outfits at home that uh, represent the Star Trek Academy. So, yes. (laughs) So what was your first impression? So you had some idea. You said, I think I'm going to live near a beach, near near uh, Pamela Anderson. And exactly. <laughs> um, so what was what was your what was some of your what surprised you about moving to the US? I think the uh, I landed in November in Missouri. And I think the weather hit me first. I came from a part which was, you know, the temperatures were soared to 110 degrees during summer and the winters were like 85 degrees, right. And to see the first snow to be able to experience that and then just a cultural shock, right? Like this is Missouri, right? Like, and this is back in 99. So there was definitely from a experience standpoint, being able to amalgamate within, but I do have to say just because of that age, it's much easier to get into the culture. It's much easier to become part of the culture itself. I think the bigger shock to my system wasn't the Missouri. It was actually when I moved to New Jersey, And that's when the system really shocks you because you go from that suburbia to this major metro move. And I think that's that 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 really hit me from, you know, the cultural dynamics, the the disparity, the wealth, right, everything all at once. And then you have to find your path through, Okay, what do you want to make your life out to be? Because you have all of these choices right in front of you. Right. And yeah, I, I mean. It was one heck of a journey. Yeah, that is crazy. So where'd you go to college? I went to a little college called Dowling College in Long Island, New York. Went there to do my uh, studies for being a private pilot. Very quickly realized uh, didn't have the funds to be able to do that. And about uh, two years in, I actually could not go to school. So I stopped doing school in there before moving to Canada and then went to Ryerson University to finish up my schooling there. That's a top school, right? That's right. So right, where is Ryerson? It's in Toronto and they renamed it, by the way. It's called Metropolitan Toronto University or something. They decided oh, I know that. Uh, it was, and I don't know all the reasons, but last I heard they renamed the university just last year because who it was named after, Ryerson, it's some bad history or it wasn't, it Oh, yeah, probably, probably, yeah. yeah, this man who lived 200 years ago did something horrible. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so they, they named the, the university, if I'm not mistaken, it's now called Metropolitan Toronto University or something. Right. So give us some career highlights before you started Fulfillment IQ. I know you've worked a lot, done a lot, but uh, give us some the, 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 the top line. Absolutely. So worked in um, companies like Hudson's Bay Company, IBM. Canadian Tire, uh, doing distribution warehousing, specifically Manhattan WMS implementation technology side of the work. 
the highlight started in 2012 when i got asked to lead the target canada implementation so you know target had this idea that we don't you know canadians love target they like going to the us and shopping at target and target had decided in 2011 they made the announcement that they wanted to actually move into canada and open 124 stores they made an acquisition of a retail brand called Zellers so they took over all the Oh leases. yeah that was a big I didn't know that I didn't know that so they bought Zellers Yeah they bought they, they it was weird like they didn't buy Zellers they bought all the leases to Zellers so it was this weird way of doing an acquisition that they ended up doing so they they started off with 124 stores that you know Zellers are usually located or where usually located in where target would be located so perfect kind of location right for- i remember my old roommate from college was from halifax well he still is in halifax and i remember he would always tell me the zellers was kind of like kmart yeah but t- target is much better than kmart exactly <laughs> and i think i think the market proved that out at this point <laughs> yeah i mean in canada though you know they they come in and uh, you know the highlight for me was maybe nas to help with the technical side of the WMS the WCS enabling all the technology that goes into three of the warehouses that were all like the same blueprint 1.2 million square feet three warehouses spread between Milton which is outside of Toronto one in uh, Cornwall Ontario which is right outside uh, 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 Montreal and another one in Calgary uh, Alberta and implementing this and we were we were basically given like year and a couple months and by the time i had joined i had about 9 months in front of me to get the first warehouse up and running now let me ask a question so these warehouses were to support the 124 stores that they were opening not for e-commerce fulfillment at that point not e-commerce fulfillment at all this is retail continuous flow warehouses right so you got the 124 stores the demand where the trucks are just constantly being loaded one truck per store or multi-stop trucks that are going up so so just to just to educate me and my audience here if i was selling to target in let's say i'm selling sweaters those sweaters get delivered to those dc's and then the dc's distributed them throughout the to the 124 stores that is correct in, in a in a more simplistic form yes that is exactly what you would expect if you are selling to target and if you are selling to target store you you make sweaters you work with a merchandiser in target they will basically cut a purchase order for you you're going to need some edi support at that point you bring you know you get the purchase order you send this inventory to the target distribution center right so that's in my mind that's the difference between a distribution center and a fulfillment center fulfillment ecom distribution more from a retail right you know just to make life easier right and that's where the products are going and from there they get distributed to the stores and that and that is hard in canada because you have virtually all the population i would in a it, i will say uh in toronto area toronto montreal that big that big that what are they four hours away six yeah, hours right. away and then on the west coast you have a whole another population center that is correct and then you have the maritimes which is uh, what so nova scotia prince edward island there's very open spaces between there <laughs> that's right i mean you know look at it this way as far as canada is concerned specifically to the us audience if you were to look at 
Canada, second largest landmass after Russia, as far as a country is concerned. But close to 90% of the Canadian population lives within 100 miles of the U.S. border, right? Like just Well, that's where it's warm. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people that live relatively in the Minnesota warm. border. So relatively warm, yes. Actually, if you look, I'm, I'm from the Detroit area. Detroit is actually north of Windsor. I think it's the only major city in America that is north of a Canadian major city. Minneapolis. Minneapolis is actually north of oh, they, Toronto. They, they too. Yep. So, and we have the weather to prove it. I was, I tell people this joke. Years ago, I was in a comedy club in Windsor, which is right over the border. So I went to a comedy club with friends and there was a comedian and he said it was middle of February. It was so cold. There's lots of snow. We shouldn't have been out. But the, the comedian said, I love Windsor because it's the Florida of Canada. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I was thinking, no, Florida is the, is the Florida of Canada. You go down there, it is Canada. It is very Canada, yeah. So anyway, getting back to Target, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they, so you have read these DCs. Originally, I think when the internet came, I think Target said, we'll partner with Amazon and let them do our e-commerce. Am I correct to say that? I mean, the, the, those were just talks, right? So from from my, after doing Target Canada, I got involved in Target.com, but let me finish the Target Canada story. So I end up building Target Canada from, you know, the technical perspective. I used to work for a company called Genco at that time, which is a third-party logistics company who was given the third-party logistics contract to run yep. these three buildings. After developing them, building them, and then sustaining them, one very fine day, 15th of January, 2020, 2015, I was sitting in an office in Pittsburgh where I get the message. Be like, hey, look at this news article. It says Target just filed for bankruptcy in Canada. What does that mean? So uh -oh. <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, I, I do not know what it means. I did not do it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do that. But they actually filed for bankruptcy in Canada and decided to shut everything down. So this one fine morning, I'm, you know, gainfully employed and then I don't understand how that could happen. I, I didn't. So, so are they there now? No, they aren't there now. Target shut down everything one fine morning. The run was from 2012, end of 2012 to 2015. So, I, I mean, 2013, 14, 15, that's it. The, the two, two years and change is uh, all that they could squeeze out of that, approximately, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah it, it makes you wonder if they if they did it again, if they could be successful uh, right. with the current model. But it's it's it, it, it just describes how difficult retail is when you look at one of the true winners. And by the way, uh, selling to Canada, I know there's some challenges with that huge country. And I think if you look at the Canadian population, what, uh, roughly one-tenth the United States, the size of California population-wise, but right. obviously spread out over. You think California is a big landmass, Canada is much bigger. So, yeah, that, that just tells you how difficult the retail model is. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, and, and you know, Target, Target is definitely a story worth looking into for any retailer that is trying to move into Canada on what to do and what not to do. Target's a great brand because right after doing Target Canada, 
I helped with Target.com. So Genco won another contract in the U.S. to actually build a Target.com facility in York, Pennsylvania. And I was tapped on to help build an e-commerce facility that processes, let's call it 300,000 packages on a day, right? This is a very high throughput e-commerce this is a fulfillment center, so it's not being shipped to the stores. It's being shipped to consumers. That's right. So what would be, you say, is a big difference? But, and obviously, delivering to homes is very different. But what was the big ch- difference challenge-wise for you? Um, from a design perspective, it's I think of a fulfillment center is just as different than if you were to compare a store, right? Like if you were to ask me, how different is a is a retail store to a distribution warehouse? A fulfillment center is just as different from a distribution center. The entire strategy of how you receive products, how you store products, how you pick products, pack products, ship products, technical integration and solutioning is all different. And that's why one of the true holy grails in this space is what we call these omni centers, the warehouses that can do both distribution and fulfillment within it's a very challenging task to keep it highly efficient on both fronts, right? And so they are widely different. If you are at smaller scale, you should try and achieve your omni efficiency. But if you get to that scale where you can split it out, you should be looking at splitting it out, but it's all a scale equation. Right. And, you know, for those of us who don't work in the warehousing space, this is you're educating us here. So I use the Amazon example a lot. We all got used to, I should say, there was a lot of people who said, I want to be an Amazon seller. That was a great way to do business. So 10 years ago, everyone was saying, hey, Joe, Nanad, let me show you how to become an Amazon seller. You can sell necklaces or your sweaters or whatever you want to sell. It's a great way to go. And over time, a lot of companies no longer made the grade because um, Amazon started realizing for us to be successful, we have to do the same day next day that we're all so addicted to. But also they didn't want to store anything. There was not going to be a whole bunch of SKUs that sat on the shelf unmoved, not, that didn't move. And I know it, traditionally you think about a warehouse, you could walk to that warehouse and say, oh, this stuff's been here for six months. That that would be not the way Amazon wants to run their business. So now if you say, I, I've got 50 SKUs and 10 of them sell really quick, but these 40 are kind of slow. They just go when they go. You don't fit the profile anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, Amazon, very interestingly, and I, I get to learn all of this. I sit in an extremely fortunate position to be talking. Oh, to you get to sit with everybody. And brands and FBA merchants and people that enable FBA. Just last week, I'm looking at, and I, I got to learn this, how Amazon's created a capacity model for Amazon FBA merchant. So if you sell into Amazon, Amazon now tells you per SKU how much you can send to me. Now that number is not small, but just because you got 17 pallets of necklace from the Orient super cheap doesn't mean Amazon's going to take it. Amazon's going to analyze the the predictability of like how much are you going to sell to allocate capacity to you on how much can you send to me at a merchant level, at a category level, and at a SKU level, right, where they are saying, what can you send me? These numbers are high if you are doing really well. But if you're just trying it out and you just got something super cheap, you can't just shove it all into Amazon. So you need like a dual 3PL strategy if you are in that position, right, where you are going to require 
a public storage location which can store your products and then only send what Amazon can take in. Yeah, it's it's obviously a good strategy. It's worked out. Amazon's can set the bar for so many so many functions of our business. But when I sell my sweaters on Amazon, they say, "Cool, we Amazon sold some sweaters." Right? And I say, "Cool, I sold sweaters." They're my customer, and Amazon says, "Uh, yeah, but they're Amazon customers." And I always also say, when I put my sweaters on there, I say, "These are the best sweaters in America." Well, North America, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I want to sell my sweaters. And somebody goes, I typed in Joe's Joe's sweaters. Amazon's going to say, hey, you sure you want Joe's sweaters? Because we have 25 of our own private label brands that we think you should consider. <laughs> and these advertisers that you should consider. And so they're really saying to the consumer, we'll give you tons of choices and really great choices. That's why we love Amazon. But as a brand, I'm like, hold up. Hold up. Uh, when they type in Joe sweaters, I don't want them to find it. They're not sweaters. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and you know what? It's kind of a necessary evil, let's call it, for us to be able to work with that type of model. A brand should definitely be focusing more on, and I don't have to say this, most brands that have reached the level where they are now pushing into Amazon and they do have Shopify, but anyone just starting out, right? Focus on building that brand, that brand loyalty off of whichever platform you choose, right? Uh, not be it Shopify or Big Commerce or WooCommerce or like, take your pick on that front. Build your brand on that side. Amazon is a strategy that you just have to play, right? But your focus from a growth perspective should be because you. It's not just about selling, right? Like it's not about Joe's sweater. Because the Amazon Joe sweater is also in a brown box that's coming out. Even though it's Joe sweater, you can have a bag that says Joe sweater. When you can do your own fulfillment directly to your merchant, be it through your own warehouse, be it through a 3PL, you can control that unboxing experience. When you are a startup brand, a growth brand, how many touch points do you have with your merchant or with with your customer? It's when you are on the website. It's when they are unboxing, right? And then eventually when they are returning, if they decide to return, right? And then, of course, when they are wearing your product or using your product, right? that unboxing experience is super critical. So focusing on how nice you make it, what messaging do you have? What's the personality of the company? Are you a funny company? Are you a serious company? Are you a sustainability-focused company, right? All of that messaging, that's not possible through Amazon. But again, People like ordering on Amazon and that's always going to be a really important channel, but you do want to build the brand loyalty, that repeatability coming through brand as a website. Yeah. And and I think, you know, what you just described is that customer journey, customer experience. And that's why companies like Nike have said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to move off of Amazon and we're going to sell through our Nike store, Nike.com, whatever it is. And the reason there is because they want to own that experience. They want to own the customer. And so it's, it's, but, I, but the challenge you run into that at that point is Nike doesn't have a problem driving traffic to their website, but Joe's sweaters might. So you, yeah. <laughs> you, you say there's the Amazon problem. Amazon has challenges, but also so does driving traffic to Joe's sweaters. Absolutely. But, but we have seen a lot of unicorns come out from that particular space. And just talking about those unicorn brands on like Shopify, as an example, one of the things we are observing and let me simply put it, the party's over, right? Like, so 
if you started as an independent brand and figured out the the little algorithm the nuance to being able to build that brand which was instagram marketing or be it facebook marketing having a really cool brand and then you just sold and you had so much margin that you were okay not focusing on your logistics it was okay you could just focus on the brand what has ended up happening through the pandemic is so many of these companies so let's just take warby parker it was an innovator in the market this is a tom ford but the warby parkers right the game is changing there is four or five competitors in the market so now as you try to yeah they, price, and they make this they make the sunglasses or the glasses, the glasses right that's right yes and by the way there's a warby so they started online but i i was in ann arbor they opened a store on main street that's which right. is very expensive rent yeah that's right so it's a funny thing where e-commerce native brands open retail and by the way i joke i joke about this in my podcast all the time i am never going to buy a mattress without trying it out i bought a mattress like a year ago i went over to that store probably 20 times to lay on all their beds i think i thought that they, they probably thought i was homeless by the end <laughs> like this guy's just coming in here to rest but yeah and these guys sell and so i think a lot of these like purple brand and these a lot of these stores a lot of these e-commerce stores are opening retail and of course the retail guys are saying how can we sell online <laughs> yeah and that's why you, you got to start focusing on logistics right like if you're a digital only brand at this point your focus definitely needs to shift towards looking at the cost of logistics the the lifetime value of the customer and how logistics impacts that right like what you are doing from your fulfillment to your distribution to your you know transportation services so you know we got carried away talking about e-commerce and we did not talk about the fulfillment iq story so let's jump to that right now so you had a lot of great experience prior to starting fulfillment iq in 2019 great time to start a business exactly <laughs> actually a phenomenal time right well, it, it, you went from two employees to 65. You did something right, right? So um, so why did you start Fulfillment IQ? What kind of hole in the market did you see that you thought, ah, I have a better way to do it? I was working for, uh, you know, that company Genco got acquired by FedEx and got rebranded as FedEx Supply Chain. And so I was working for FedEx Supply Chain. And as part of the acquisition, one of the things that was asked by FedEx to Genco was, we want to see what we can do within the mid-market e-commerce space from a FedEx standpoint. And that's the catalyst to me conceptualizing with a few other people, building a FedEx fulfillment. And so it was building a tech-enabled fulfillment service that a merchant could go sign up, send their inventory, pick back ship, connect into wherever you sell. And that's the service we ended up building multiple warehouses and that went on from about uh, 2016 to 2019 time frame where i was helping do that for fedex and fedex great organization but we got asked to move to memphis and that was a promotion be like good job guys let's move to memphis and i wasn't at that point in my life uh, ready i had very young kids and so I decided if i'm gonna take an entrepreneurial journey it's probably the best time is right now. And so took a leap of faith and said, fulfillment is where the industry is going. This specifically on the fulfillment tech side of things where there is 
we are breaking the barriers of how 3PL fulfillment was done and getting into a new era of fulfillment. And you are seeing companies start to evolve and, you know, pandemic has proven out. There's probably over $5 billion that have gone in from a VC money into fulfillment perspective. And I think we were just at that right time saying, how can we help these companies innovate? Both companies that had already started on that journey where you had founders that just had a good idea, but no logistics back. And a lot of logistics companies that wanted to add the technical capabilities on top to be able to compete with these startups. So it was just this perfect mix and time to be in this space to help out companies on both fronts. So yeah, that's uh, that, that was kind of the catalyst. And we have been really fortunate in having some of the most well-known brands out in the market uh, from large footprint retailers to some of, some of these companies that start with ship something something.com um to working with a lot of brands and working with you know those very traditional 3pls the 100 year old family owned 3pl that is right now going through a modernization story of like how do we reinvent ourselves and put ourselves out in the market yeah nanad before we hit record we were talking about and you said this they said there's the, the traditional operators the guys who run warehouses run fulfillment centers run dcs and they have the operational excellence. And then, then there's the other side, which is the technology guys who really understand the technology and how to integrate it from a a retailer to a DC, to a fulfillment center, to home delivery, to apps, the whole thing. And you said they're for a long time, we're kind of almost separate worlds. And now they have, we have no choice, but to get on integrated. We have no choice, but become one. And at, at some point you're not going to say, Oh, he's an operator, but he doesn't understand tech, or he's a tech guy who's never been to a warehouse. It's required of us that we become the hybrids. And 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 in any industry, we've we've gone through this. I always joke about it. Um, technology is the the New York Yankees or the Alabama football of business. When they come, they win. Tech is here <laughs> now. It's important you join them because you are not going to beat them. <laughs> Absolutely, and I mean, you know, when I when I say this, right, I I mean it the most sincere way possible, right? Like these, some of these companies that have become so large lately, their founders just had an empathy for the merchants, right? So they were coming from another perspective. This guy's selling, their garage is overgrown, like they can't do it from their garage. They need some help. How can technology solve for it? I swear I have seen people without any WMS knowledge or ever having stepped into a warehouse, design a WMS, and it works. It works. But the problem is when you scale, when you become, <laughs> it works when it's 500 orders, 1,000 orders, 2,000 orders a day. But when you try to squeeze that efficiency out of your ability to do things for the sake of the sanity of the employees that work on the floor, that they don't feel like, why am I going around in circles? I just passed that product three times. Why didn't I pick it, you know, three at once? And why am I going around in circles, right? That's that's because, you know, there is that lack of logistical understanding. And that's the expertise we are providing on that front. And then there is... The operators that are like, who are these little guys with so much volume? Why do they not have an ERP system that they are bringing to the table, right? So 
that's what we are trying to solve for in the market. Yeah, and I would say this, just given your background at FedEx and with Target, both the, both the e-commerce and the stores, you are all about scale. <laughs> Probably anything that somebody says 500 orders a day, you're like, oh, really? <laughs> and, and you know what? That, that's the interesting side, right? Like, So when I did FedEx fulfillment, it was going from building this 400,000 packages a day facility to 500 orders a day merchants. And when you get closer to this merchant, I will tell you, I feel much more satisfied solving those problems of 500 orders per day, 300 orders per day. It's just, there's something to be said. It's entrepreneurs, right? These are people that, listen, if I screw up for Target, and I never did, disclaimer, <laughs> right? And the warehouse goes down for a day, the Target's going to hurt and hurt back, but it's going to be okay. If I do that to a merchant that's got their house on the line for their particular business, right? I have to make sure that I do it right. And I do it right every single time. So you feel for them, you get connected with them. I have so many friends that are brands and brand owners out in the market. And I, I, I genuinely enjoy that side and working on that front. But I also enjoy working with the larger retail and enterprises. You know, there is that empathy that needs to be translated to the larger businesses as well. So you before we hit record, you've said, I asked you guys, do you run warehouses? And you said, no, we're, we're service provider. And, you, and then you mentioned the difference between service providers and product owners. Yeah. And to talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about how you got went from two employees in 2019 to 65 today. Listen, Ed, the last couple of years, like 2017, 18, 19 for me, were very product centric, right? Like, let's build something. And we, we got to build something. And when I when we decided to go out on our own, it was, let's build something. But we kind of came to a realization that to build something, we got to give a lot away. So let's just do some services out in the market because we are a bunch of smart people, right? And maybe we can convert that into some capital, some cash flow, and then, you know, do consulting and then build a product. Lo and behold. It, it helps to know the problems before you start building the products. I mean, clearly, you know, the problems yes. from your old positions, but this is even closer to to the uh, the merchants. Absolutely. I mean, we can build, we have built WMS systems, transportation management execution systems, TMSs, order management logic, last mile fulfillment logic, micro fulfillment and environments, right? So we can build it all, but it's hard for us to be, from an ethos perspective, to build a product, we would never want to compete with our client. And that's something that says very centric to us. So our challenge of product development is even greater. It has to be innovative. It's got to be groundbreaking. It's not, we can't take something that has happened and do it again. But foundationally speaking, we do sit in a good position because, you know, I read this somewhere. It's not my own quote, but it's product companies want service company cash flow and service companies want product company valuations we are a service company today so we have the cash flow but we do want to pivot ourselves into product because from a talent perspective from a general fulfillment perspective and i not the warehouse fulfillment like you know just emotional fulfillment perspective 
productizing is a lot of fun. And that's why one of the chairs that I kind of hold within the company is still the chief product officer for the company, right? All the other titles that go along with it are, are, you know, I've evolved into them, but the product is definitely the closest to my heart. Well, it, it, it is, it's amazing how much the world has changed in a very short period of time. And we now know uh, if you're managing freight, you need a transportation management system. If you got a warehouse, you need a warehouse management system. We talked before we hit record, we talked about warehouse execution systems. And then you mentioned WCS. What is that? Warehouse control systems. <laughs> what is that? Control all the uh, Control the convenience, robots. right? The, warehouse control is probably the oldest of all three technologies. It's like a real like machine level, basically saying go left, go right to the conveyor. So so we know that we all of a sudden in the last... Uh, I'm going to say 20 years, all of this stuff has exploded onto the market. And is it all right? It's all, it's better than we had, but we also know there's going to be a lot of changes. So I, I will say we, we still live in an order to cash world, right? How do I, where do I get that order and how do I get my cash? And I'm trying to reduce that time in between so I can have more turns. And I think there's going to be, I, I know there are right now gaps, and one of the gaps I've described in the podcast we've talked about many times is the f- last mile. So the last mile during the pandemic, these gig economy workers stepped up and started delivering. And we said, great, that's fantastic. Is it the right answer for the long term? Probably not. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we because the, because they don't have routes, they don't have the logistics an operational rigor that the world needs them to have. <laughs> so they need to connect with technologists and companies who can say, you pick up here, then here, then here, then here, then deliver here, here, and here. As opposed to them saying, I picked up and I'm going to, I'm going to go drop my kids off at school. Then I'm going to drop off this, you know, these groceries. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm in an extremely fortunate position to see a lot of startups come in the market. We do some work within the startup capital space as well off late and we get to see some of these new and emerging, really talented folks doing some amazing work. And I genuinely believe, as far as last mile is concerned, we are one disruption away from the industry changing altogether. I don't know what that will be, because if I did, I would invest all my money in that, right? But we are one disruption away, and no one, especially the old ones, no one should get comfortable with we have the infrastructure to support it, or we have now we are just one technological disruption away from last mile, middle mile, first mile, completely changing. I totally agree. And by the way, you mentioned Target, what, 90%, I'm going to screw up the number, but it's probably 90% or more of Target shipments are shipped from the Target store when you go to Target.com. That's right. right? Yeah. And Walmart is becoming more and more like that with their go local so you look and go, oh, whoa, wait a sec. Amazon's the king of the king of the hill on this thing, but I'm five minutes from a Walmart. <laughs> if if they had to race right now, Walmart beats Amazon by half a day just because of where I live. And and I think most Americans, I don't know about Canadians, but for sure in the US, 90% of the population lives within a 10 mile from, from a Walmart. Yeah, I would say Canada is pretty similar as well. And by the way, Walmart's... Uh more fancier in Canada, just so everyone knows. Walmart sells all organic groceries up there. It's got a very different brand perception. I'm not joking. In Canada. Well, it's funny. I'm I'm in Michigan and we have Meyer. 
which is based in Michigan. And there's like six states in the Midwest that we all think Meyer's better than Walmart. But I will say this, Walmart, I mean, I, I will never put them down because Meyer and Walmart are across the street from each other, five minutes from my house. Wonderful, wonderful. Both of them are wonderful. I mean, it's, it's really, I, I, I say I like Meyer better, but that's because that's hometown, right? That's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. They, they, I've had them on my podcast recently. Walmart is a juggernaut. It is one of the great companies ever. But anyway, getting back to that disruption, we're right now seeing you know a little higher inflation, labor shortages. So the so when you mentioned this one disruption away, it could be a technology disruption. It could be a business disruption. A lot of companies in the warehousing business are struggling to get heads. And I've said it on my podcast many times, Nanad, if you and I right now tomorrow had to go get entry-level jobs, and I said, Nanad, you and I should go to work at a warehouse, you would say, Joe, let's do gig economy. Let's deliver food. It's a lot easier. I can drive around in my car and listen to the radio. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to go walk around a warehouse all day. So we do have a challenge getting good heads and um, into this business. So the disruption could come from who knows what direction. Joe, let me give you, give you a very quick statistic or number on that, right? When I was doing a very large initiative for a very large retailer, the IRR expectation or the internal rate of return expectation for installing a robotic system was okay when it was greater than 21%. That means that, you know, I would recover my money in about four years time. So whatever I'm investing, the efficiencies would drive that. We recently did one of those AMRs or the the robots that uh, help you do picking. When you take the labor cost into consideration, the IRR is 10 months. Wow. 100%. You are essentially recovering all your cost within under one year. That's where we sit. So the disruptions already here when it comes to some of the technical capabilities, like it's, it, it all also depends on the profile, the type of orders, the type of products. There is a whole bunch of mix that goes into it. But the robots are here, guys, right? Like that's not going anywhere. And and by the way, if you have a son or daughter, and I have two daughters, if I if they were to go to work in a warehouse, I would say, well, make sure it's a warehouse that has technology because I would see that as a way to advance your career as opposed to just being a strong back who can walk 10 miles a day. Absolutely. So let's talk. I want to switch gears. I know I've gone way over my time already, Nanad. Thank you for staying. Because I'm that interesting, Joe. <laughs> yeah. So give us some idea of some of the pro- projects you and your team are taking on, and then talk about why you've grown so quick. Yeah, absolutely. Why have we grown so ba- uh, quickly? First of all, some amazing clients that put faith in us as a new company. That's definitely the primary force driving it. And then a lot of talent that wanted to join us, right? Like our problem wasn't, you know, we had enough business. It was about finding the right folks that could work with us to be able to- Most businesses don't have enough enough business or enough good talent that wants to work with them. So how did you do this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a journey. I wouldn't say it's, it's been easy. It's been a lot of fun, but it definitely hasn't been easy. And our journey was within the first, I mean, if you look at our LinkedIn account, it shows about 1,500% headcount growth in the last one year at this point. The leadership that we have around us, a lot of people put that faith from, you know, my FedEx days as an example. Our CRO is ex-FedEx as well. You know, our COO is ex-FedEx. Our CMO joined us from from the fintech space as well. 
and a lot of content generation and creating trust in the market is making sure that we are being as transparent as possible to our clients and they understand and that's why they bring to that second question the type of projects we work on we are solving for as an example how do you use self storage facilities right so your traditional self storage like storage right. wars as forward deployed fulfillment centers or how do you use those locations for critical inventory so when you need a part let's say if a automotive company has a technician on the road and they need a part it's just 2 miles down the road how do you use technology to get in there track inventory manage stuff and take the parts out so we are helping problems of that nature we are helping with how do you automate the way fulfillment has been automated go on a website give your credit card click on your shopify account and now you can ship your products we are doing that with b2b as an example how do you solve for that on b2b how do i click and enable my edi service so i can ship to retail those are the type of projects we work on along with some very major shoe company where we help with multi carrier shipping is a solution that we try to figure out for them and we are also starting to build our own products and those products are more centered around helping open up the consultative supply chain service space for the startups the mid markets how do you get services from a company like us without having to spend the way you would end up spending with you know larger consultative organizations and we are also working quite a bit on helping merchants find 3pls and 3pls find merchants and that service is called 3pl iq and we don't take any cut in between we are literally doing this because we love getting connected both with merchants and 3pls so we are acting as the bridge that actually connects the two sides so what is your relationship with existing software providers because there's a there's a lot of warehouse management systems are they your customers are they your partners both how's this work it is super interesting some of them are our partners meaning meaning you'll deploy and help exactly we'll help integration your solution right as an example like manhattan associates we'll help deploy their solution ground up we work really well with some of the tier 2 systems that are out in the market as well but they also leverage us from a market expertise standpoint just because we are talking to the same merchant base as them and we have found ourselves in a unique position to say we are not going to create any exclusivity when it comes to software providers we don't want to the the pure reason being we want to work in the interest of the merchants and retailers right and not in the interest of but if your solution is really good yes we have no problem recommending it but we are not going to have some referral agreement where i get a kickback in the back like we don't care about that yeah that would be short sighted because you could say yes i'm being paid to use this wms that's not a good fit for this particular merchant and by the way all the wms companies have their sweet spot in the market. Absolutely. So you got to you got to find what what's the right fit. And yeah, so you so you're partnering with those guys and when before we hit record I mentioned this and I don't know if this a good characterization but the way I see it is this industry is still changing so much but also there's so many little gaps in the market where a WMS says we do this and a TMS says we do this and ERP says we do this and there's might be a little gap for one merchant or one TM or one 3PL and that's where you guys fit come and say we'll we'll 
fix that problem. Exactly. That little gap where, and you know, it's funny, there's an old saying is the innovation happens between the boulders. And usually when they mean is when you have engineering and manufacturing, those are the two boulders. The innovation comes in the middle, right? How do I manufacture that for much less? And I think we have a lot of boulders. We have over-the-road transportation. We have the final mile people who are very different than the over-the-road. We have warehousing. And when somebody I used to say warehousing, used to think it was one thing. Now you realize <laughs> that warehousing could be long-term storage. It could be a DC, as you described, sending to stores. It could be sending e-commerce or all three. <laughs> and... That's exactly what we do. That is, and then and then you look at the stores. Stores used to just be stores. Now, exactly, every new store that goes up, and for a major retailer, you know that they are saying this is a store, but it's also going to be part of our e-commerce. Yep, forward deployed micro fulfillment type of solution, right? Like it's going to be part of our e-commerce. Lots of gaps in there for. Uh, Fulfillment IQ to stick their nose in. <laughs> Absolutely, and we've been we've been doing some work on that front as well. I mean, we got a uh, we we got a customer in uh, uh, Chicago area that we do something similar with, and super exciting. And yeah, we we basically look at and analyze and say, listen, if there is one package that can solve your entire problem, no problem, just like use that. And that happens, I would say seven times out of ten that someone asks me, right? Like, here's my problem. Then comes a time where you go, okay, you need a different WMS because it will solve all your problems on a different OMS and a different store system, or here's a store and a TMS that's combined, but a different WMS. And that's where we help figure out. And it's like, we also look into what's your ERP? How does that work? What financial systems do you have? How is all this going to reconcile for you? So we can look at the problem from a holistic perspective and come solve for it. Because there is no one size fits all, fulfillment IQ and Nanad get to exist. <laughs> so Nanad, I'm going to, I don't want to try and summarize. We went all over the place, but what I'm going to ask you is answer in any order you want. What's next for you? What's next for fulfillment IQ? And then what's next for this big old industry? And I'll let you define what that industry is. Yeah. I mean, What's uh, next for me and what's next for Fulfillment IQ kind of goes hand in hand. I would say uh, I am extremely passionate about products and developing products and helping startups that are building products in the supply chain space. So you will see me quite a bit as the years go by, take more and more a leadership role in helping define products, create solutions that actually solve real world problems. That's what's next for me. I'll continue doing that and persevere on that front and as far as fulfillment IQ is concerned, we, you know, as a, as a company, it, it continues to grow in the services segment. We would like to see ourselves grow in the product segment and helping 3PLs, merchants and retailers alike through products that we provide in the market. And, you know, we are starting to dabble. I kind of mentioned earlier on, we, start, we have started to dabble in looking at and funding smaller companies. So if, if there are any cool startups that are out there that are looking for any support, we love working with startups. So we, we, we want to do more work in the supply chain right. startup and technology space where we can bring the expertise both from a technical perspective and the operational execution perspective, operational excellence perspective to kind of bring it together and help them grow. So you are, you are going to see Fulfillment IQ do a lot of work within that particular space. 
And as far as the industry is concerned, I think you stole my thunder when, when earlier on when I, when I kind of mentioned we have one disruption away. Just all, all I'm going to say is, you know, there is a lot of this chatter with, you know, companies letting people go, et cetera, with inflation, whatnot, right? And they're like, oh, e-commerce is not uh, what we all expected. Like, you know, Shopify CEO comes and says, oh, we expected the trajectory to just keep going post-pandemic. And it's like, I mean, I should bite my tongue over here. But like, yeah, and I also bought a little bit of common sense to know that, you know, it's going to pull back <laughs> a little bit. But if you were to look at the graph right now, the graph is clear. The graph basically is saying we leapfrogged a couple of years right now. The industry has leapfrogged. So the industry isn't going anywhere. It's going to continue growing and it's going to continue growing leaps and bounds. And disruption is going to be the name of the game. It's You are going to constantly see new players come in that are going to change the dynamics of right. how we do logistics. It's not about how we do WMS. It's not about how do we do TMS. It's how do we do logistics. And and that's, yeah. Yeah, and I. by the way, I've, I've said it before on my podcast, the way we buy right now, we go to the grocery store, we go to Target or wherever, that's going to change. And the reason it's going to change is because of, you just mentioned, because of logistics. And I could see going to a store, and well, by the way, this has happened to me. I buy I buy over Best Buy. I like to touch the computer I buy. So I, I touch it and they go, you want this? And I, I, I buy a lot from there. They say, okay, uh, yeah, we don't have that in stock. We'll send it. And, and that's the way I buy. And I keep thinking with that with that idea, they can get their footprint much, much smaller. So we can see retail locations becoming smaller. But also, if I can have my groceries delivered, I still want to leave the house. But when I leave the house, it's got to be an experience now, right? Yeah. The world's just... So uh, going to the grocery store is an experience, but it's not usually a, a fun one. But going to a cool boutique where they got specialty foods, you're like going to a farmer's market. Those are things we love to do, right? So I think that we're going to see retail change. But that's the difference, Joe, between you and me. And yesterday I was reading an article that says 45% of search today within Generation Z, right? Gen Z starts on Instagram and TikTok. I'm like, how do you search on Instagram and TikTok? I don't even know, right? This is Google's internal data publishing. I just bought a new webcam and where'd I find it? Instagram. And as soon as it popped up, I said, oh, I like this. I don't know how they know all this stuff about me that I was looking for a new webcam. I clicked and I said, say, I, I, I followed that and then I bought it. And, and it's funny, I'm far from Gen Z. <laughs> anyway, so before you go, who's your sweet spot? Who does Fulfillment IQ serve? And, you know, what is your market? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we are, we like to say an inch wide and a mile deep, right? So we do quite a bit for quite a bit different companies, right? And different segmentation. So we like to define them as brands, retailers, and 3PLs. Definitely our bigger merchant space right now or you know customer space right now is definitely 3pls we help a lot of 3pls navigate the modernization battle right now but brands are just a fast follow second second for us right like merchants that have grown like okay i can't do this in my you know garage anymore i need fulfillment do i which route do i go do i go down a 3pl route do i build my own if i build my own what what do i do so these are the questions yeah and by the way you mentioned you work with merchants but you also work with 3pls i think that's 
I wouldn't want to work with someone who just worked with the repels or just with merchants because if, because if, if you're on that merchant side and you go, well, yeah. And then it just connects to a, a 3PL system. And you're, you're at that point throwing it over the wall. You need to be able to say that, that, that is the innovation again, between the boulders, between the 3PL and the merchants. And if you don't understand that space, I don't know how you can serve your customers. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and that's what we find so interesting and challenging at the same time is we never leave you until we solve for the problem. So if I was to point a merchant to, you need a 3PL, now let me help you find a 3PL. I want to make sure that the 3PL actually delivers. I'll negotiate the contract for you and make sure you get the best out of it. And the same way, if I'm helping a 3PL build a new 3PL offering or a service, we'll make sure you get the right technology, but we will see through that your technology is well implemented and your commercials are in the right place and your pricing is in the right place. We want to help out on both those fronts. So, I mean, we come with that level of depth and knowledge and it's not me, it's definitely the team more than me. But... Right. And so I know the answer to this, but I want to clarify, since you're based in Toronto, you of course do business in Canada. You also do a lot of business here in the US. We do most of our business in the US actually. You know, my, my career has kind of afforded me that uh, most of my connections happen to be in the U.S. So Well, and I will, I've said this before last week when I interviewed a lot of people from Canada. We really do have to figure out, especially for e-commerce, how to – the border is the, the best border, I think, on the planet to ship over. But we have to make it better. And here in between Detroit and Windsor and automotive, you can ship things back and forth very easily. And safely. And we're used to that. We have to get to the point where we're doing that all the time because I don't ever want to have to have a fulfillment center in Canada and 15 minutes away, another one in the US. It makes no sense. I agree. Um, from a sustainability point of view, it makes no sense either. And if you're a brand, that's just going to be like, what are you kidding me? Why do I have to do it that way? So, so also, you guys have people in India. And is that for development? Yeah, that's right. Our development house uh, where we do development for our clients, uh, you know, solutions that we are building. We have a development house in India that's about 25, 30 people strong at this point and growing probably faster than almost any other division right now. We are a pandemic company, so it was spread out all over India as far as resources were concerned. And now we are starting to center in to Delhi, the capital region. Just because in India, it's the, the, you know, definitely in North America, there is no expectation of back to office, but in India, that's starting to slowly happen. So we, as an organization, need to start planning that. Yep. Excellent. So Nanad, thank you so much for going way over my allotted time. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, I'll put a link to Fulfillment IQ's website, and I'll get it whatever marketing links from your marketing folks. But talk a little bit about your new podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... We just started our new podcast, uh, Ecom Logistics Podcast. Uh, just released our first episode about a week ago with Shekhar Natrajan, who's uh, the CEO of uh, the newly formed Quiet 3PF, uh, Quiet Platforms, uh, and also the Chief Supply Chain Officer of American Eagle, talking about a sharing economy, a sharing network within the supply chain side of the business. Well, that's, that's a pretty big bang to start, and I will... Th- for for those of you who haven't followed it, then I give us a little bit of it. that is a potentially industry changing move. Explain why. I I say hashtag uh, look out for the disruption, right? Uh, I if if what they are talking about, and th- here's the interesting aspect. Just one number that threw me completely off. It's like, listen, Nina, I was like 
supply chains are competitive advantage and shaker kind of stopped me and goes are they are they really because he's like at hyperscale they are american eagle what american eagle ships in one year walmart ships in a day and a half and amazon ships in four hours so are you really <laughs> saying you're building something that's competitively that's going to compete with and like but why don't we all these mall brands let's take it as an example urban outfitters american eagle zara etc right why are they competing with each other when it comes to supply chain for the same resources we spoke about labor for the same warehousing space for the same supervisory employees for the same technology for the same everything for the same trucking space why not build a co-op let's just you know at a high level a co-op format where we can all compete as brands inside the malls and and recognize that none of us are logistics experts <laughs> yeah exactly and then why not kind of do it as a co-op and succeed and there's you know this is not they are say but like i have seen some examples in other tangential industries where this works where the banks come together and say oh hey, yeah. we are not in the business of check processing why are we competing on how to process a check like there should be one technology that does it let's just all get together and process one way i'm an automotive guy and you look how many joint ventures between all of uh, multiple OEMs. Developing a new engine might take billions of dollars. And so rather than you doing one and I'm doing one and we're both trying to figure it out, we say, you know what, let's just do a joint venture. You kick in a billion, I kick in a billion and we both save a billion. We end up with a better engine. Exactly. That's And, and that's kind of, to me, I believe in that that type of vision, right? Like that's the disruption. So what American Eagle did, and again, a traditional retailer, is they bought Quiet 3PF. I had Bruce Welty on here. And they also bought somebody else. Who else did they buy? Airterra. Airterra. So, and with the, and that's more of a- Last mile courier type of solution, yeah. Yeah, and so they bought this with the idea that we're going to, we're going to unite the clans here, unite all the mall, you call them the mall brands. We're going to unite all of those brands and say- we're not competing on this. You're all going to have a great solution. And and they become the standard. And again, this is the disruption you spoke of. That's right. That's right. And, and, and we could be five years from now saying, hey, there's four or five companies like American Eagle that, that take all these mall brands that can't compete individually with an Amazon, but together they can compete and have the same efficiency and effectiveness on their deliveries. That's correct. I mean, you know, your purchasing power goes up. I mean, of course, you get great rates with DHL and FedEx. But imagine if like Urban Outfitters and American Eagle combined their volume. Now you can get even greater rates, right? Like, so that that's where the party's at. Right. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your new podcast and I'll put a link to the new podcast in the show notes. And uh, yeah, by the way, if you do nothing else, guys, t- check out that podcast because, again, that might be disruption we, we reference so many times during this podcast. Absolutely. And we, we are interviewing quite a lot of merchants. Uh, so you get to hear the founder's story of like how they had to go through to struggle to build the supply chain, the initial. Joe, we would love to have you on the podcast. I would love it. I would love it. All right. Thank you. And Nanad, thank you so much for taking the time and going way over the allotted time with me. <laughs> and uh, thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.